It's another episode of Swing Thoughts. This is our fall series. It's kind of like the regular season. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like the PGA Tour fall season. It's, I mean, it's just there. It doesn't count as much. But we're trying you know, to listen. We're putting in an effort. <laughs> it's not like... But we're not calling it the silly season, though, are like, we? Exactly. It's not like the... Uh, what was that thing called? The shark shootout. It's not quite exactly, that. Exactly. The shark shootout. Who could give a damn of a freaking like, shark shootout? It's not quite that absurd. Uh, I'm golf spiritual leader, Humble Howard. Of course, uh, Coach Tim uh, O'Connor is with me, as always. And uh, we're we're excited to uh, be hanging out with you all. Episode 245. Uh, getting some great feedback from different people. Quite enjoy the program. And of course, as always, brought to you by TaylorMadeGolf.ca, TaylorMadeGolf Canada. Timmy was telling me before the show started that he's still pumping it out there. Uh, and, and, and for sure, it's technology. I mean, the stealth driver. At first, I didn't think, I don't know about you, but I did not think right away like it was going to make that much of a difference. But now having used it for the entire season, I think it makes a huge difference in off-center hits. But you were telling me you were playing at uh, Blue Springs and just hitting it forever. Yeah, I, I'm having to ratchet back to three wood on holes. I've not had to do that. And as a 66-year-old man, I hit uh, par 5, 15 in two for the first time in my life. I mean... It's cool. So, yeah, off-center, toe, heel, the thing still screams out there. It's amazing. And, of course, uh, we really appreciate OscarBravo.com. Who is OscarBravo.com? Those guys are just, you know, Matt and uh, David have been so good to us. And uh, I can't wait to see what they come out with next year. And uh, the, the shirts really are something. Yeah, did did I tell you that, uh, I think it did, that Dave is meeting this week, either meeting with or has met with Sir Nick Faldo. Yeah, I saw that note. And that's pretty cool. He's got a pretty cool marketing company. They do magazines for Cabot Links, the likes of Bend and Dunes, Marine Drive, etc. So it'll be interesting, but that's the, the world that they swim in, the Nick Faldos of the world. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'm, ho- ho- I'm hoping that Kauxi uh, can get us a, a hookup, you know, with Nick because we've had Nick's teacher on the show, absolutely, David Ledbetter, and which is a good tie-in today because you know over the course of eight years and 240 plus episodes, we don't really lean on instruction too much, but I thought it would be uh, a unique opportunity to add to the list of Sean Foley and David Ledbetter. Somebody who is primarily a golf swing teacher, but he's got a very interesting and unique perspective on the game because unlike a lot of people that teach golf, he's also a very, very high-level competitive tournament player as well. Even as he is, even as he, he's in his advanced years. Uh, I've known this fellow for a long time. Back in 1998, I moved into a subdivision. Uh, and my dad asked me what the, uh, of Oakville, my dad asked me what the house was like. And I said, I have no idea, but it's five minutes from a driving range. Uh, and uh, it's a place in Oakville, a lot of people know, called Family Golf, where I met this gentleman. He has been, um, he's been a good teacher for a very long time. And, a, and, and like I said, a, a very good player. He received the Ontario PGA Teacher of the Year Award in 2002. And and pretty recently, what was the thing you said he won? He won the PGA Club Pro 
champions. Uh, 2017. Yeah. yeah, like and and in 2017 he was already like 80. <laughs> he is a good friend of mine, as you can tell. And uh, and you want you, know, you want to talk about somebody that can pump it out there? Please welcome to our program, John Cochran Esquire. Hello, Jonathan. <laughs> Golf clap. Golf clap. Hello, John. Hi guys. Hi Tim. Hi. Hi Howard. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. I'm really looking forward to this. I know that uh, there'll be lots of back and forth, but I'm looking forward to it. Well, dude, listen, all those things I said about you are true. I mean, there are very few people that I've had the chance to work with or know in the game of golf that are as good a player as you. And why I think that's important to focus on a little bit is because you've worked on your own game. You work on your own game a lot. And so I think that qualifies you in a unique way, and I'm being serious, to help others transition their game from practice to play maybe talk a little bit about that how you work on your game and who some of the people you've worked with well you know uh, i think that uh in my career i through 95 when i was at family golf and just a little shout out to larry armitage who really who really gave me the opportunity at that at that time when i came off tour um the uh you know, in going through it, I felt that uh, uh, I didn't really gain as enough knowledge. I couldn't understand why the guys on tour were beating me, you know, because I was so dedicated. I'd work at the gym. I'd do all the right stuff. And uh, so I went on this kind of tangent over my career of working with a lot of great, great, great teachers, you know, uh, and going to seminars. And I probably did more seminars than anybody in the U.S. or Canada through 95 for about uh, 10 years of PGA of America I had seminars that were three and five day long when the, the seminars would be five you know, uh, five days it would need to be with McLean, it'd be Nick uh, uh, McGetrick, uh, David Ledbetter, uh, Craig Shanklin. you know each one had a separate a separate uh, a format and I did every single one and I did it for like for 10 years and probably spent about twenty thousand dollars a year at that time doing that uh, and the reason was again I couldn't understand why I couldn't I couldn't perform or I didn't transfer and what it came down to was knowledge was information where the individuals who I started doing seminars with and eventually started, I'll tell you a few who I've worked with, uh, was the level of knowledge was different than what I was, what, what I was given. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I couldn't perceive past a certain point being as in a personality and dedicated, being in the gym at five in the morning, doing all the things that were necessary. So, uh, you know, I started, my first guy was Craig Shanklin. I worked with Craig Shanklin for 15 years. Very, very good friend of mine, probably, probably 20. And, um, during that period of time when lots of little events and, uh, and, and basically just he tore my swing apart and rebuilt it, uh, because it wasn't, and then I started to learn why I wasn't, uh, able to, uh, perform. So I think with, in saying that, when you look at students and they go, well, um, you know, why am I not uh, hitting these numbers? It really always comes down. It's never mental. It's never a mental thing. It's always the mechanics. And the reason I say that is because they perceive that the their mechanics are good enough, but their mechanics aren't good enough, so they perceive that it becomes mental. But it's not. It's the fact that they can't perform it because, you know, this game here is a physical game. It's demanding. You know, we you know, tour players create one ton of torque in their body and create a lot of, uh, a, a lot of power. Uh, but they create that power through a sequencing of, uh, of biomechanics and movement patterns. Well, let me just jump back in a little bit. So you've worked with uh, Shanklin. You work with Mike Adams now. And, and what I kind of want to get to with uh, uh, John, Tim, is that, you know, 
a lot of us have taken lessons. You and I, Tim and I have, you know, again, uniquely qualified to talk about this. How many times, because of the people we've gotten to know and the people that Tim's uh, interviewed. And, you know, we, we've had a lot of instruction. And yet, not all of it translates to a person's golf game. And because of what you've gone through, talk a little bit about that, some of the barriers for students when it comes to learning something new. Okay. Yeah, so you're right. I worked with Mike Adams. I worked with Greg Shanklin. I worked with Claude Harmon. You know, a lot of great, great teachers and, and, and gained that knowledge. So, you know, there's a difference. You know, this is the only game in the world that's not practice in the playing field. When you look at every other sport, whether it's football, it's in the environment. I call it the environment. That's the playing field, right? You look at tennis. You look at hockey. You look at uh, basketball. I mean, you go through every single one. Badminton, you know, every one. Every single one is in the environment. So when the coach is giving drills, they're actually doing drills in the environment. I actually watched one of the football players uh, when it, when it was um, uh, in uh, training, uh, and it was um, at the Super Bowl. And he was in his shorts, and he was. They showed him on the field, and he had bands on his knees, and he had this big whip stick. And he's, but he's training in the environment, so he knows the skill, but he's training in the environment. So the difference is, you can't. It's impossible to transfer from a lesson. Um, it really is to to the golf course because the the philosophy is well you've done a great job in the environment of the practice field which is just a practice field where you're doing repetitive motion training and developing a skill and then you go oh when you go out there now you think it's going to transfer well the way the brain works it has no relationship to mm-hmm. the golf course so you've got to go out there and you've got to train in the environment exactly the same way. So if the coach has got you working on the impact bag, you work on the impact bag. If the coach has got you working on plane sticks, you work on the plane stick. And sometimes you have to go out on your own, get a cart or walk, you know, preferably a cart because, you know, and play two or three holes and actually do the drills in the environment. So you start to condition your mind as well as your body in the environment. And that's not, that's not happening enough. You can't just go in the environment and learn it. You have to learn it away from that skill and then go there. And that's 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 a huge huge thing for people um, to be able to 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 hit their objectives and goals, right? I mean, that's really important. Well, one of the things that I find really intriguing right off the get go is that, is that you said you know that it's when you know, people talk about it, it's not a mental game; it's a physical game. I completely agree with you. I think it was about three four weeks ago. Bernard Langer was laughing. Uh, saying that someone said golf's mental, it's all mental. No, it's not. You know, I don't care if you're a Zen monk. If you don't have a good swing, I'm going to beat you every day. But what I see happen, because I've been through it, I think uh, all kinds of players go through it. This is what I'm speaking to the mental part, is that I'll say I'm working with a coach, or at least I'm working on my own, and I'll, I'll, fit, I'll work on one part of my game. But it's kind of like a dog seeing a squirrel, and I'll work on that thing for a short period of time, and then I'll ping off into something else, do that for a couple short period of time, and then ping off into something else, which I think is a mental thing. We get attracted because the brain is attracted to novelty. So speak to that balance that one has to strike about taking care of the physical part of it, mechanics, if you want to call it that, and the stick that takes with kind of, you know, commitment, et cetera, which strikes me as a mental process. Well, I think there's four categories of training. I think there is uh, one is intellectual understanding, right? So just understanding it, right? Two is, is physical application. So when, when, when a teacher or somebody says to you um, and explains it to you, people don't really understand it. They nod up and down and they go, aha, but, and I'll say, well, explain it back to me. And they, they can't even do it. Right. So, so the, 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 
the physical applications is showing them what you're actually explaining them to do. The third thing, which is crucial, 100% crucial, that everybody has to do, and in every sport they've done it, and I'll tell you a quick story after this of, of what I saw, is you've got to do it in front of the mirror. You've got to train in front of the mirror. Number one, you're telling yourself what you're doing. Number two, you're physically showing yourself what you're doing. And number three, you better see that you're doing what you're actually telling yourself you're doing. And the fourth is you have to be able to articulate it back. In other words, you have to explain it back. If you can explain it back as you're doing it, you're starting to own the skill. You're starting to own the information. That's that's another crucial part of it. Because I can have students go through that preparation and I'll say, okay, Dave, now explain back to me what that means. And and it's so it's so diluted that when the, you know we get we don't want to get too heavy in neural pathway development, but in neural pathway development, it's, it's information application is doing it repetitively to develop your skill, which is developing the neural pathways of your brain, which fires down and makes your body do it right. I mean, on a command structure. So, in other words, when you're when you step up to the ball, if I tell myself to go to impact, and that's great, I told myself, but that doesn't mean my body will do it. That's the transfer of the skill. And John, I, th- I was going to say, let, let me just jump in and say, I, I think that is a, a crucial point and a unique thing that I've uh, experienced with you. Again, we've known each other a long time, hit a lot of golf balls together. And, and when you've said to me, okay, well, explain, can you explain what I just said to you? And, and that shows, you know, that you talk about awareness being curative, but a fine awareness at the end of a lesson. And I don't think a lot of teachers do that. They just assume that they've shown the student, the the student's sort of shown some understanding. But I think a lot of people listening have gone away from lessons and maybe they didn't take notes or maybe that their coach didn't follow up and aren't 100% sure what they've just spent an hour or more learning. And so how do they expect to take it away? And as you said a moment ago, do some work on their own. And I'll tell you this thing about... uh, Remind me before we uh, close, there's one thing that John's shown me that no other teacher has in terms of technology. I'm going to explain what it is at the end here, but it has to do with taping yourself. And it's it's a very unique way of learning the skill on your own. Anyway, you were going to say and tell a story about uh, a mirror. Yes, I was in a gym in the U.S. and, and there was an individual who was in the gym, all in the mirrors. And he was standing on on the you know the Bosu balls, the half ones, right? The balance balls, right? They're the the half the half uh, cubes there. And uh, and I I stood and watched him. I knew what he was doing, but I wanted I wanted to ask him afterwards. And he was standing on it, and he was stepping in. He was he was throwing uh, a pitcher. He was a pitcher, and he was working his way up into the majors. He was in the the minors, and he was going up. And he stood there for an hour and a half on that ball, stepping out. And his arm, when you heard his arm go, it was like like a car going by you at 80 miles an hour. It was like, like it was incredible. And I went up and I said to him, so, you know, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm watching the angles of my body and I'm watching how I step and how much I rotate and where my arm is in relationship to it. So people will say, well, oh my God, that's paralysis analysis. So let me clear something up with paralysis analysis is because it's very important for the viewers to know this, right? Paralysis analysis is this and this only is information without application. So people are giving you information, right, and explaining it to you. But as you just said, Howard, they don't really grasp it or understand it. So what they perceive that information is, they're going to go away and train it to what they perceive it is. But it, And they don't get the benefit from it, so they don't think it works. And back to Tim's, Tim's, Tim's thing, and that is they say, well, oh, you know, I'm going to switch. I'm not going to stay with it. I'm on to something else. I'm not going to continue because I'm not seeing a result. Well, sometimes this teacher has to say to the guy, look – 
Number one, you have to completely be able to articulate it back and show me. And as you're developing that skill, when you go away, you're probably not going to you're probably not going to do it as well as in front of me. Right. Because you're learning it. So let's say you go away and you only get 40 percent of what you learn. And I'm going to come back and I'm going to go, that's fantastic because you had zero before. But the 40 percent doesn't give you any benefit yet. No, that's a great point. This is yeah, this is really interesting to me because um, Howard and I, through the course of eight years of doing this, we've talked about that. You know, we couldn't imagine anybody but uh, working harder than us. You know, but of course, there's thousands and thousands of golfers who go deep. You know, down kind of what we call like the rabbit hole, and and I think that there's just something that happens is that we get to a certain point, and maybe it's and this is interesting to me is that you what you're putting across here is that golfers don't fully understand what they're doing. They're unable to perform it. So thus, they're unable to stay committed to it. No, I, I know to say, Timmy, that's a great point about what John said. If you've, if you've only retained 40% of the lesson, then you might, it's better than zero, but you're not at 100% yet, to your point, Tim. And all of a sudden, you see something on YouTube or on Instagram, and you think, oh, I'll try that now. And maybe you get that 40%, but you never, ever get anything to 100%. And I think it has a lot to do with commitment. Yeah, 100%. And um, that's the hard part i think about building skill in anything i mean we're in a i'll run this by john and see what he says but to me we're in a golf culture that says if you get the right information and apply it you'll fix your flaw but that doesn't but people don't get they don't fully comprehend they watch youtube and they think okay i'll just do this and i'll do this to (laughs) shallow my swing or whatnot and they go and try it and of course it doesn't work but that's the culture we're in, right? The, the, the quick fix culture. And you look at anybody who's built skill up, like John exemplified. You know, he's done what you went to workshops for ten years. Yep. <laughs> who who does that? Well, and maybe <laughs> that's not t- what our may- culture tells us to and, do. And maybe John talk about the kind of students that you get, because again, I, I in 1998 I met this guy, and there's and not everyone teaches the way that John does, but meaning that you, you expect a certain commitment from the people you work with because ultimately that's going to help them in the end. Yeah. I think as a, as a, you know, what, what some of the skills I have uh, on this side of it is if I get an email from somebody at 11 o'clock at night, I answer it. If I'm up like it's, it's, I'm fully invested in their uh, success. And, and I always say to them when they ask me, well, you know, they ask some questions. I say, look, here's the, here's the bottom line. Failure is not an option. That's not on the board. You come to me, it's not on the board. And what that means is, yeah, you're going to set some goals and expectations. And I ask them, what, what do you want to, you know, what do you want to, what do you want to do and where you want to go to? And they'll say, oh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a 110 shooter. I just want to, I just want to shoot a hundred. Well, the, the road, the road from shooting 120 to the tour is exactly the same. It's where you want to stop along on the road. In other words, the training from a, all the way, all the way down to, to Z is exactly the same. So if you get to eighty two and you're happy, right? That that that's great. But the mechanics of that process. So so I think the viewers have to understand that uh, that when you're when you're learning a skill, a skill is is this is you know there's no such thing as talent. Talent is derived through information, application, repetitive motion training, right? Where you where you start to you start to own it. You're learning a skill. 
once you have the skill, everybody says, oh, my God, look at that person. They have a talent, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But, they, but it's all the work that's been put, put in there to get to that to that get to that end game so they they have to they have to get on the range and youtube the problem with youtube is and it's good and i said look if you, i mean you're a youtube junkie great that's fine but look at the areas because a lot of the stuff when people go to youtube is not even applicable to them correct right? they're searching for something has nothing to do and matter of fact when you look at different body types and how their body rotates and their and their flexibility of their you know internal external rotation of their hips and all that stuff, they may not even be able to do what Tiger Woods does or somebody else. These guys, because a big part of this, when you if you're really serious, is I push my students to do to true training, whether it's TPI or through Joey D uh, to do physical training and make sure that they're training. And they'll come back to me and say, "Well, my I have a great trainer." And I'm saying, "There's nothing wrong with your trainer, but." You're training not specific to what your goals are. To, so exactly, I, to golf a goals. a holistic approach of putting it all together and say, okay, number one, there's training. Number two, in the lessons, I have to motivate. 99.9% of the people have a perception that they can't play golf, have a, this perception. And my job is to break that barrier and go, you can play golf. As you, as you go. Well, I can tell you that, I, you know, Tim and I have been, again, lucky, as I mentioned earlier, to have, you know, been around a lot of good teachers, a lot of guys in the golf world, and have talked to a lot. But I've, uh, I can tell you from my personal experience of John as a teacher and as a friend, like very few people, and I'm about to reveal this little life hack that he gave me for golf, but very few people will, that, that teach golf, are as responsive you know, you mentioned uh, people calling you at 11 o'clock or sending you an email. But John follows up with his students in a way that not a lot of teachers do because because he's committed to your improvement. The little thing that I, and I've been around golf a long time, but I was hitting balls with John. And he said, you know, we're talking about this little move I'm working on. And he gave me this little thing that I do now. And all I do is I set my phone up. I don't know why I didn't think of this, but it's I set my phone up as a mirror. So, yes, I can tape my swing, but what I do is I put it on the ground, and then it's this strangest thing. I don't hope I'm going to describe it correctly, John, but I watch myself in the phone making the move, and I've learned that I can actually hit little pitch shots and half swings while not looking at the ball, looking at me making the move. It's the craziest thing. And in all the years and all the guys that I've had lessons with, I've never had anyone show me this. And I'm going to tell you, again, I hope I described it correctly. But I'll tell you, it makes a huge difference. It's because it would be like having a mirror in front of you. And if you don't have one, listen, a mirror would be great. But if you don't have one, use your phone as a mirror. And then what I'll do is I'll tape every second or third one. And then I can see. That's the last thing I'll say about this. If you don't, what, what, what John and good teachers teach you to do is to teach yourself. Is to ultimately be able to look at and go, that was closer to what I'm feeling. That wasn't, and I can see it. But that little thing with the phone has made a huge difference. Even when I'm out in the field with the dog, I'll, when he ask real quick, is, yeah. is the phone on the ground? Is yes. it on a tripod? No, or something? that's the great thing. Is I just set it up on like the base of a tree. It doesn't. Okay, here's the thing. We're not talking. So it's about, all the way down there, and you can still see it. Okay, you just face it up. Like you don't need a you don't need a perfect down the line or a fir- perfect uh-huh. face on look. I just put it down. Stands running around, and I'm hitting little sixty yard pitches, seeing me make this move. And I'm going to tell you, it's. Uh, that's a lot. Again, what I said there at the end, what you need to learn, I think John's taught me this, is to learn how to see what it is you're working on on your own, because ultimately you have to make the change yourself. Yes. 100%. And, and you know, you made a point there about feel. 
Okay, so let's talk about feel. There's a big fallacy about feel. Oh, I got to feel it. Well, the bottom line is if you lift your left leg, you're not feeling it. You're lifting it. And when you lift it, it creates a feedback mechanism, right, in, 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 the, in the mind that you've – that's the feel of what the leg is doing. So this feel thing is way overdone. If you want to change something, it's a physical manipulation, which means you have to, you have to make your body do something it doesn't want to do, and you've got to see that it's doing it. And then you can go, oh, well, when I do that, oh, my God, that, that feels like this. And then you go, okay, so every time, I, if I want to go to the feel side, every time I feel that, I know that the picture is the same. Right. But the only way to know that is to be able to see it in the mirror or tape it, right? And then go back and go, okay, this is, this is what I did physically. This is what I felt, right? Now in my mind's eye, I have a picture of it because I've been training it. I'm going to go see if I actually did it. And, and I remember you saying to you, you said, well, how do I straighten my left leg? Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. What did I say? You said straighten it. Straighten it. <laughs> your leg. You want to straighten your leg? Straighten it, right? Right? It's not. It's not a rocket science. Just make it straight, right? So, the thing is, I want to ask Tim. Do you have a last question? Because we're going to wrap up John here in a second. I have one last. Well, yeah, question. I, I just. Uh, I wonder if this might be splitting hairs, if you will. But um, is there a difference between sort of? You know, did I feel the right thing or being connected, um, connected to what my body's doing? I'm uh, I'm aware of it's happening. I put my attention, say, on my, let's say, left shoulder. And I want to feel myself finish my backswing. Um, to me, there's a big difference between saying, okay, left shoulder, come over here and do this, and just paying attention to it, just observing it as it goes. Does that make any sense, John? Yeah, I think I think you have to you have to you have to you have to make your body do something, and then as you do it, you're aware that you're doing it, and then there's a feel that comes to it, right? And I'll just say this really quick. So I watched this show, uh, and unfortunately, people came back from you know the war in Iraq, and they, they had traumatic brain injury, right? And it's not that traumatic not what that injury? Traumatic, traumatic brain, brain injury. Brain. Okay. Sorry. So there, what was really interesting about this was they. They call them ghost legs, right? They can't feel their legs. They're, they're, there's a neuro, there's a there's a separation between the mind, the, the brain, and the neural pathways. They get separated, right? So there's nothing wrong with their legs, but they can't they can't do it. So what they do is the person comes over and they physically move their leg, okay? And then they get them up on a stand, and they stand them up, and they have a mirror in front of them, and they say, "Move your left leg," right? And the person is trying to move their left leg, but there's not a connection. So the nurse comes up and moves to the left leg. So there is there is information, there's application, and he's watching the leg move, which then reconnects the neural pathways. Interesting. Right? So that that's the, that's that's was really interesting to me when I studied it, right? And that that all of a sudden now the person is walking because there's a reconnection. And the same thing we're developing a motor skill development. In golf, that's what it is. It, nobody has a skill. Nobody has this. Nobody is born with it, right? You might have natural tendencies towards sport, but the, the reality is, everything that you're developed through the years is developed through training, right? Well, listen, man. Uh, I knew you'd be great. I uh, I wanted to. This is gonna. I, I I'm gonna give you a chance to air this out just a little bit because as we say goodbye, it, we've talked about how to train. In in your opinion. What's, what, what would you call a foundational non-negotiable? Like in the golf swing, like as everyone has, uh, Ledbetter has his, you know, the takeaways important. You know, our buddy Evershed has, you know, weight pressure on and on and on. Sean Foley has this thing with the pro sender now. 
what would John Cochran's sort of foundational non-negotiable be if you could sum it up uh, for us quickly? Would be the impact position. I mean, the bottom line is the impact position. Uh, there's If you go back in the classic era to the modern era, uh, the difference between the classic era and the modern era, when you look at I've got all kinds of pictures of uh, Hogan and Sneed and all those guys, uh, everybody had a little bit different backswing. My dad used to have, have a huge amount of... Uh, of magazines from golf, mm-hmm. uh, golf digest. And they never talked about the backswing. They did talk about a balance finish, but every single magazine was about halfway down to impact to extension. Right. So the impact position is being the center point of the golf swing. You can have the best backswing in the world and the best finish, but you, if you have no center to that golf swing, because the center of the golf swing of impact is what creates torque is a well, what allows your arms, your chest and your hips right legs to come back to the proper position which is what gives you your power that is the major power source of the golf swing very nice so 99.9 percent of people have no impact i could have by the way i could have got that on a john cochran uh, multiple choice question what would you <laughs> also you could get that uh, just so cool that so john in preparation for this because of the arduous research i do for every one of our guests yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. You just Googled um, them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I Googled you. <laughs> and one of the things that came up was uh, John Cochran com, And here's uh, a, a nice instruction piece. I don't know who you did it for. Uh, improving your image. How to train for the perfect impact position. There you go. And, um, you know, shift and turn, components of impact, and the impact bag. I just want to say that um, when I do coaching, a Women especially love kicking the shit out of that impact bag. Just put a picture of their husbands on there. Uh, John, yeah, exactly. <laughs> John Cochran Golf Schools dot com is uh, where you would find yep. out more about John E S Cochran. Uh, as I say, really, uh, he is not only he's a he's a positive guy. He's a great guy to hang out with. Uh, do yourself a favor, uh, look him up, and if you have any unique opportunity to spend some time with John, it's uh, it's something else. And uh, I had a chance to. We, when did we play? A, we played about three weeks ago, and you know, John moves it out there pretty well. Not bad. Yeah. I mean, he got, he got, John, he, he nice, got to, to, nice to meet you. I was going to say to be continued. He got to be a, he got to buy me a couple times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, the thing is, you know, when 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 I have to wait, you know, ten minutes for you to, you know, because I'm ahead of you so far. All right, just relax. Oh my God, <laughs> wait on, just wait on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John E. S. Cochran, ladies and gentlemen, thanks, pal. I'll see you a bit. Thanks, guys. That was great. Yeah. Yeah, he moves it out there with some uh, speed, dude. Although the other day he was, uh, this is when you leave. Goodbye. We're talking about you now. This one said this. I tell every guest, there's going to be a point. Just go. Oh, damn it. Do I hit leave meeting? Yes. Cancel. Yeah, leave meeting. There you go. I happen to be out at uh, the golf course he teaches at with another friend of mine. And John was giving a playing lesson in front of me. And just, you know, we were talking about you and I, about how far we've been hitting it. I don't. I, I won't. I, I would tell you how far I hit it, but it's just going to sound assholeish. But I hit it really far. And John's playing lesson was in front of us, and I didn't think I could get anywhere near where he was. But it was a, it was a perfect combination of fall fairways, nice and firm, and a little bit downwind. And I just smoked it. So I get up there. I never really didn't mean to hit into them. I get up there, and he's taking my ball and he put it on a tee. <laughs> 
fucking. I was like, thank you, John. And it was really, it was way past, way past where I thought I could hit a golf ball. Well, that's better than the response when someone steps on your golf ball. Oh, he did that. It's funny. You mentioned it. On the very next hole, he did the same thing. Because I did, again, I hit two drives in a row, Timmy, where I just hit it. And then the second time I hit near him, he stepped on it and put the ball. It was so underground. I had to get a, like a, had to scoop it out. Um, Yeah, he's a good Uh, teacher. He's a very different guy. Very uh, different teacher. And, uh. Yeah, very invested in his students, which is great. Uh, much yeah. like much like yourself, if you want to work with another teacher that I highly recommend, and I'm talking about uh, Timothy O'Connor uh, uh, Esquire. Um, Tim's going to be teaching again this winter at, uh, what's the golf place called in Guelph? The Golf the House? Golf house. Golf the Golf House. The Golf House. Okay. On uh, Woodlawn Road in Guelph. And yeah, it's I'm really excited to get started there we're already starting to do some uh, some lessons in there i'm doing a free clinic on oh i should know that i think it's this sunday the the 15th does that does that work but anyways it's it's um yes yeah, the 15th of october doing a free clinic um yeah really jazzed uh mac and jake are the proprietors the young guys who got this thing going and they've they got five bays there it's it's a really nice facility and they've got a a wonderful bar and wings to die for. How's that? Yeah, I've had. I love to. I love. Uh, I don't like hot wings. But I do love uh, chicken wings, probably more than I should. Anyway, that's how you get a hold of Tim uh, in the winter time. Uh, speaking of indoor facilities, if we if we got to give a shout out to our man uh, Casey Burlock yep. Indoor Golf. Uh, what they've done is they've opened up another section. Really? I, I, yes. <laughs> yes. Casey, man. He's taking on more. And, uh, so oh, my goodness. So if you've ever been to his place, you know, he's got the two spaces, like the big, two huge spaces. And now he's taking on another one where they're going to serve, you know, they've got bays and just like you described, a golf house. Uh, this in the, in the Burlington area. It's Burl Oak Indoor Golf. And, uh, yeah, he's got a lounge. <laughs> I was playing a pro-am with him when he was describing this to me, with, to me last month at Cedar Marine. And I just kept looking at him. And I go, well, let me get this straight. You're in the beer business now, Casey? You're going to be serving yeah. pizza and beer? And he's just laughing. Beer, wings, golf business. It's pretty good. It's a nice package, isn't it? It is a nice package. Uh, just to update to everyone. Uh, so t- when last we did a show, I was about to sh- do, it was the Wednesday before the Thursday that I did the uh, Danforth Music Hall. And uh, thank you, Tim. Coach Tim followed up with me the next day because he knew I was excited to do it. And I'll be real brief because uh, we talked about, you know, how going on stage in front of a thousand people is kind of like going into a golf tournament or being nervous on the first tee. But I can tell you, without exaggeration, I haven't been that nervous for a really long time. I was fine. Like, I wasn't throwing up. I didn't feel like I was going to puke, although I kept texting. Throwing up. I love it. But I, 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 I was just really nervous. But I, what I did is, and again, using the, the golf and, you know, as an analogy, metaphor, or whatever, I worked really hard. I prepared really well. I didn't golf for a couple of days. I didn't do men's night. I didn't do a tournament. I actually, I felt terrible. I, I, had to, I, I was supposed to play in the Ontario Senior Better Ball that Thursday and I canceled on my partner, Jamie Cavanaugh. I felt like shit. But it was one of those things where I knew I didn't want to be on a golf course all day and then go to the Danforth musical. Anyway, so when I got there, I felt, okay, I've done, I've done everything I can. I've, I've memorized my stuff. But 
even so, it was definitely felt different. You know, and we've talked about this. When you go from your club tournament to a Golf Canada or a GAO event, and you drive in and there's banners and there's roped-off areas and there's officials everywhere, it feels different. Well, that's what it felt like. I walk in and there's security people, front of house people, there's tour merchandise people. I go backstage, we did a sound check, and I don't normally do that at Yuck Yucks, you know what I mean? And yeah. uh, there's like a whole, I had my own dressing room, and there's a bunch of people milling about backstage with walkie-talkies and all of this hoopla. And then when they finally introduced me, like I really was like, as I do before every show, I just close my eyes for a second because my heart was pounding. And I just was like, well, this is going to happen. This is about to happen. I can't stop yep. this now. Um, and I always say the same thing to myself. I say, this isn't about you. And then I walked on stage and I just killed. Like I had a couple of laughs that were like laughs to applause. And when a thousand people do that, it's pretty cool. And then yeah. I did about 13 or 14 minutes. Yeah, I had a couple bogeys for sure. I was trying to, my analogy was I, I basically shot even par. 72, 73, good ball striking round. Had a couple of bogeys, a few really good birdies. <laughs> missed a couple, left a few on the hole, you know, on the edge. But overall, it was a solid, solid performance. And my buddy, who's the headliner, I could just hear him because he calls me glassy. I've known the guy for three. He's yelling at me from off stage every time I get a big laugh. Glassy! And he's yelling at me. So... <laughs> Like, overall, it was a great experience, and then it was over. And then I, yeah. Uh, yeah, but it was definitely, you know, when you look out at an audience that big, mm -hmm. um, it's definitely, you, you know you're not, you know, at your own men's night anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that's all I have to say about that. Any questions, well, comments, it, or concerns? Um, uh, Mr. Glassman. Uh, yes, Tim O'Connor, uh, swing I feel, like saying, I feel like saying... Trent Krim. <laughs> I love that. Trent. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Do you find that when you're, once you're finally out there, instead of it being this beacon of clarity, it's more like in a fog. Like at times, like when I've given talks and whatnot, it's like, oh, I'm speaking now, <laughs> but I have this voice going, oh, I'm talking and it seems to be working. Just go with <laughs> I call it sort of the fog of performance. How uh, do you experience anything I, like that? You know, Tim, I, I have to say no for me because you know, again, I've been doing this a long time. Like, I my my first time in a comedy club was nineteen hundred and eighty. So I've been performing a long time. I know what you're talking color about. Color TV then, right? Say again. They color TV then? Not really. I think Bewitched was still on. Um, I know what you're talking about. There have been times when I've gone on stage at a club. Or, a, you know, a, a show where I could tell I wasn't really there. Like I hadn't kind of and my body was there, but I, my mind wasn't in the room yet. And I sort of have a way of slapping myself out of that. But last mm. Thursday night, and we're taping this on October 6th, and it was basically a, a week ago last evening. I was I was in the room like I, you know, one of the things about. This is only the second time I've played a theater. So the theater sound was so good. Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure I, if I sent you that picture of me on stage, but there's also two stage monitors. So not only did I, did I, could I hear the sound in the theater, and it's excellent, but there were monitors where I could hear my voice. Kind of like, almost like wearing headphones. So I didn't, like your, your natural brain wants to default to having to project because there's, 
there's so many people and there's and there's so far some of them are so far away from you but that monitor gives you the the feeling of you can just be sort of talking like we're talking so i was very and i knew i knew the the first four or five minutes that i was on i knew exactly where i was i knew it very well so i was a bit on autopilot in terms of the material like my swing was already working and then in the middle, I sort of screwed around a little bit. I talked to the audience a bit. And so I, then, I, then I messed around. But I, I will tell you that, that I was definitely in the room as soon as I walked out. Because was, I, was, I was vibrating. Like, I really was. My heart was pounding. Oh, I completely get that. But I'm wondering if uh, a kind of a cool takeaway for our, our golf listeners. Like, to me, what it sounds like is that like, this was huge for you. But you weren't in a story that, oh, I got to, as you step out there, oh, I got to make sure I hit this one down the middle. Nope. My reputation is here. Oh, what could happen beyond this? Is that, is it fair to say that you were doing your best to be in the moment? A hundred percent. And in such a way where, I, and I'd been thinking, it's funny because I was backstage and for about 15 minutes before I went on, because there was a bunch of people there. I got there, a sound check was like 645. So I've been there for a while, you know, talking to everyone. There's a bunch, my, my buddy who's the real star, you know, he had a bunch of people in the dressing room, people that I knew. My daughter came backstage and I kicked and I went by and sat by myself for a few minutes um, before I went on. Because I wanted to, I just wanted to be a little bit quiet. I knew it meant something, but here's what I said to myself, just like a tournament. I said, I'm okay with whatever happens here. I've done this enough that if I completely blow it, I'll still be fine. So let's just see what happens and let it rip. The other thing, and I think I explained this last week, there were almost, I don't know, let's say it wasn't a thousand. There was 900 and some people there that had spent a hundred dollars a ticket. There was a lineup at 6.30 to get in. The doors open at 7. Those people weren't there to see if, they, if I sucked. <laughs> they were there. They were there with the anticipation that all the, like there was two of us that opened for Jeremy, that we were going to be great. And so, like I got laughs on stuff that I always get laughs on, but I got some laughs on setups. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there were a couple things on the way to the joke where they were yeah. already laughing because they've spent 95 bucks. <laughs> um, oh, the, the prime! They're so prime. They right? were so prime. Like they're they're like that is as that's as well, I've, like I said, I think I said this last week. I've done stand up on a Thursday night at Yuck Yucks, um, where you go up and try some material in front of forty people, and it's tough. There's not a lot of noise in a room that holds three hundred and fifty when there's only forty. Um, I'll finish off by saying how it is analogous to golf is that, and this is something that is a, a great golf takeaway. I think. You can be nervous and still hit a golf ball. You can have nerves and be excited and still perform. Absolutely. You don't think that the guys in the Ryder Cup were nervous? They're out of their minds. On that first tee, trying to just hear. Can you imagine what it would be like, uh, Ryder Cup rookie, on the Friday morning of foursomes? And you got that... What five thousand people almost on top of you? Yeah. Their hearts are beaten out of their chests, but they have a process, a way of because they've been doing it for so long, of bringing themselves into that moment so they can execute. I mean, um, you, know, tell you, you, what, can, you can almost see hands shaking sometimes. Absolutely, um, that was a great segue, by the way, to the Ryder Cup. What did you think? What was your takeaways 
from mm. this past week. And I know you and I were both uh, cheering against the Americans because <laughs> they're because that they're they're from America. <laughs> well, I the key one of the key things I think is that um, Luke Donald I think really out captained uh, Zach Johnson um, from his pairings. Uh, but of course, he's got the home advantage, the course setup. I mean, everything was set up for the Europeans. The majority of um, of Americans hit a fade. That mm-hmm. first hole set up for a draw right away had them, a lot of them kind of uncomfortable. Um, a lot of them missed fairways. So the he's got the that rough was just, it, it was kind of a bizarre combination of grasses that, that made it so tough to hit it out of there. Um, so I think Luke Donald was a great tactician. Also, I think he just had a way that the things that they did to inspire the team with all kinds of videos and pictures and stuff, um, was really something. Um, but you know, it's hard to figure this home course advantage thing. It's been a lot of Monday morning quarterback Mm -hmm. stuff around that in the media. And I remember, I think somebody for golf digest says the Ryder cup is broken. I don't know. I, I just so freaking love it. Oh, me too. <laughs> but the last thing I'll add is that the thing that really sprung to mind was you talk about somebody say under, um, under the duress of the moment and being able to perform. But Justin Rose, how many kind of important putts did he step up and make? Well, and John Rom too. Like that was just absolutely phenomenal. And the, it just I also I found it incredible. You can see how when the stakes are a certain level, the the great athletes rise to the occasion. Like how many freaking twenty and thirty foot putts that were really important you saw go down? Yeah, and amazing golf shots. And why you is know, that? Even stakes. Why is that every year? And it happens when the Americans win too. It seems uh, the perception is that they just make more putts and like Rom chipped in like Rose was Rose. I agree. Rose played great. But I, you know, John Rom had several yep. chip ins, a couple of long putts, Cantley's right. putt there. And I want to get to this, you know, Cantley mm-hmm. birdies 16, 17, 18 Saturday to make it even, you know, somewhat competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it happens all the time. And, it, and, it, and it's funny. They all, they all hit it decent to great, obviously. But it just seems that the winning side has the, the the hole gets in the way, yep. More often than the non-winning side, because if you you know bro- broke it down, you know, and it's again it's match play. They the the um, Europeans had a lot of stuff go in the hole that may not normally go in the hole, or statistically on on the lower side of you know like. You're not supposed to chip in three times in a day. You know, you just, you're not. I don't care if you're John wrong. By the way, do you want to fix that beam of spiritual light that's, is there something you can do? Because I (laughs) it doesn't bother me. (laughs) Something's happening in Tim's studio where it's like this one ray of light right down his face. It's quite, uh, it's quite remarkable. Yeah, I think I'm going to like trans, I'm going to start to ascend the clouds any minute now. Um, No, it's just, I got my, I got my shade down because the sun is just, beam it and then it makes this room 100 degrees so that's what's going on so i'll move here it makes you feel better. no no i, and, I feel bad for you i mean I, you're i'm no, no, fine no, no, it's fine um what i was so, gonna say about go, go ahead because i want to say i want to talk about the 18th 
hole on Saturday. Oh, my gosh, yes. Um, no, all I th- was thinking about was I th- when you're watching some of the best players in the world playing golf, you can imagine, like, the adrenaline that is going, you know, coursing through their bodies and just the level of attention just gets ramped up that much more. I mean, it's just a cliche, but when the best players at something are in the highest moments, that's when they excel beyond your expectations. That's when the Joe Montanas of the world or or the or the LeBron James, they, they pull off these unbelievable um, moves of that are just difficult to comprehend how yes. brilliant it is. But I think it's because of the context and, and what's going on and the, just the level of focus that, that they have. I mean, there's, they are the best players in the world for a number of different reasons. And one of those things is just that, that all the, the key indicators that have put them in that spot, you know, um, the the amount of time they've invested the 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 practice the the mental preparation and what it takes to perform at that level it just hits a new level and i i think that's what happens there uh, absolutely and, and you know there's a obviously a certain amount of luck and a certain amount of i don't know momentum you know they say that the uh, the home side gets a has like a three point advantage before they start I, it seemed a bit much to me, which also, speaking of a bit much, was Saturday night. Oh, yeah. Oof. And we've all seen it. And I, you know, listen, I love Joe. I just want to start by saying I've always loved Joe LaCava because he caddied for one of my favorite players, Fred, and then he caddied for my favorite player, Tiger, and now he caddies for Cantley, who I think gets a bad rap. I mean, Cantley is a very sort of a stoic character, exactly. but I watched his press conference. He's, he's, a, he's a kid, right? And he's really, really good at golf. And everyone knows the story that he wasn't wearing a hat, and it was, uh, I think that the reporter, Jamie Weir, whoever reported that there was dissension in the team room on the U.S. side, and Cantley wouldn't wear a hat, except what what it did is it fueled those fans, and listen, we... If you've watched any, you know, football or soccer from Europe, that's what European fans are like. They taunt the other team. They have chants. So the entire day Saturday, they're chanting at Cantley, Cantley, about not wearing a hat. So it all comes to a head. Uh, Cantley makes an incredible return, as I say, 16, 17, 18, sinks all these putts and gives the, and beats McElroy and uh, whoever. And then they all take off their hats, which I thought was really funny. It was good. It was great. It was. It was great great stuff. Great, great. And the Americans had every right to do it. They were giving it back to the European fans. Where it broke down for me is this. Is he's so Joe is waving his hat around. Rory just asks him to move. Yeah, maybe he asked him to move in a peeved off manner. But well, Rory hadn't put yet. Right? He hadn't I mean, putted that's, yet. That's, that's the key piece right there. But here's the part I'm getting to. Now, I think the key piece is what I'm about, I'm about to say. He tells LaCava to move and then LaCava comes over to Rory while he's now kneeling down behind the putt to continue talking to him. Exactly. That's where it breaks down for me. And as I tweeted, if some caddy was going over to Tiger Woods. Yes. While Joe was Tiger's caddy, Joe would have kicked him in the nuts. 
So that's what the, the and, and no one seems to want to talk about that. That if this was Tiger and Joe mm-hmm. was the caddy, that Joe wouldn't have like. The, there's no fucking way that Joe LaCava would have stood for some caddy talking to Tiger while he was down behind the ball. That's the only part of this that I think they were offside. And then Joe, like, again, why is a caddy going over? Like, again, whatever happened initially with the hat waving, all good. And maybe Rory was like, okay, just move now. Like, get the fuck out of my way. I still have a putt to make. But the fact that LeCava walked back and followed Rory to his ball is where it was. Comp- That's why Rory lost his mind in the parking lot. That's why. Not the hat. Completely. Well, it was just so over the top. And, and it was the first time I saw Joe LeCava ever do anything like that like to me yes. it was just like just such a a lack of integrity there um what's he doing what's a caddy doing standing in the middle of the effing green you know waving his hat he looked asinine yes doing it and, and the whole breach of you know etiquette what a, you know what a uh, what a word i hate that word but because it, it's it makes it sound like this dilettante game but um you when the other team, other player, other team still has a putt to make, you stay the hell out of the way. Absolutely. You, the, it, it's ingrained in the sport uh, that you're not doing anything to distract the other player. It, you know, afterwards, you can do whatever you want. But for him to be walking around and then, of course, just as you mentioned, uh, to be actually interfering with McElroy, I knew, you know, the tensions are high and. I mean, he's he's giving it back, but it was um, it was a dick move on Lacava's part. And I, and I listened. Uh, uh, Freddie had his uh, show on Sirius XM. Uh, Fred was one of the co-captains. It was on actually. Fred Freddie Couples, Couples, yeah. Couples was there, not Fred Patterson. Wouldn't that be funny if it turned out Fred Patterson was one of the co co-captains? Um, <laughs> and Fred on his show again. I like Fred Couples a lot. I mean, he said, "Oh, I didn't see anything wrong there," and I was like, "Yes, you did, Fred." Of course. Of course you did, because as, you, as we've just described, th- why a caddy was inserting himself into the, into the, the in proceedings is why McElroy was still pissed in the parking lot when it was over. Even if LaCava had have waved his hat, which was great, after his man uh, sank that putt, and then moved off to the side. But the fact that he was in... In getting, he was still talking to Rory McIlroy before Rory McIlroy had putted his potential uh, game tying putt. That's the whole problem with it. And you know, the rest of it is great. I love the, I love the fact that you know, once a year you kind of get to see these guys when they're not when they're playing for something other than a major title or whatever. I think it it's pretty refreshing. You know, I like it. I enjoyed it. I, oh yeah, and it's all there's always something that comes up. You know, I remember it was Mickelson criticizing Watson, uh, Patrick Reed complaining about not getting you know paired with uh, you know the good guys like mm-hmm. Justin Thomas or Jordan Spieth. It's always interesting those little side things, and it generally seems to be around the uh, the Americans. But the one thing I wanted to just hit on briefly, if anything, is. Um, the whole Cantley thing, like, you're a really bad liar, Patrick Cantley. You couldn't find a hat that fit. No, I know. That is just such utter bullshit. Sorry. <laughs> you couldn't find a hat that fit. I mean, goodness. I mean, it, yeah, I don't. So what do you think was, what was up with that? 
Because oh, I think I, there's more to this story than uh, than than what he's talking about, and and it is. I mean, one of the things that was striking me was that I would thoroughly get why a number of players would be pissed off that they're not getting paid. I mean, all throughout that broadcast, you're seeing all these sponsors' names. There's and obviously, um, you're. The PGA of America is making a shit ton of money doing this. Yep. And the players are expected to show up for free to represent their country. There's a, there's there's something missing there. Um, I agree to a point. You know, they are getting something. They're getting, but but they're you know they they're getting two hundred thousand each to their charity. They're getting uh, the PGA of America gives a huge amount of twenty percent of the proceedings go to the PGA tours. Um, escrow or something retirement fund so they yeah. benefit through that and of course they benefit through bonuses from their sponsors which they all got and so I agree to a point that they should get something but I'd ask you or ask anybody what would that number be mm. would it be a million dollars each to play in the Ryder Cup would it be like what would be enough where it would seem like fair that the players and, and I agree there there is a disconnect there I just don't know what the number would be and then you start yeah. talking about like the here's what I think um, I think they should reduce the number of of captain's TV. picks <laughs> I will reduce the number of TV commercials well there's that because the problem with captain's picks is that they it, it didn't provide because Keegan Bradley, Lucas Glover, and yep. uh, who was the other guy that was playing really well should have been on that team. There was three guys that were playing way better than Justin Thomas, uh, Ricky Fowler. But there there needs to be some provision for a captain to to choose on recency on form. And the other thing that I think the again just to wrap up this. The other thing I think they made a mistake is that none of the American players played for four weeks, except for Max Homa and Justin Thomas, who had played, I think, three weeks before. I think that was a huge mistake on the, the Americans' yep. part because they just looked a little rusty. And they got, they, they got this phrase I never heard before. They got boat raced. I'd never heard that phrase. That's a great phrase. Uh, that means that what... Well, you, you tell me. It means to be... Well, they kept using it after the first day when they got smoked like six to one. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be beaten very badly <clears throat> at something, especially in such a fashion that you were behind from the start and never had a chance. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like um, I didn't play for 10 days before I played yesterday. And... I was rusty in terms of decision making. Yeah. And I went, that's what happens when you're not playing in a lot of terms. You're just not sharp in, in, in those ways. Um, so, yeah, I think there was a lot to that. The, uh, the majority of Americans not having played for, I think they were saying five weeks. That's a long no, four weeks. time. I just said it was four, four weeks from the tour. Well, I, I thought, I thought Zinger said five, but it doesn't matter. It's still a well, long time. It was a long time. <laughs> where those uh, Europeans all played the uh, BMW championship like two weeks in, before. Yeah, I just, it was, it's, a, it's a weird, you know, I, I don't know. And I, I'm going to finish by saying I used to, I really like a lot of those American players individually. It's, I, I hear you. But I'm, I'm so, right there with you. I'm so jaded. Individually, yes. Yeah, I'm so jaded on their stupid country <laughs> that uh, I just can't get my head around it. I can't. Yes. Yes, American listeners, we love you. But your country is just so weird right now. Yeah. 
Um, all right, I got. I'm getting phone calls. Uh, my, uh, I'm having some problems here with my the condo board. <sighs> anyway, there's all kinds. Flag all, in your, instead of uh, are you getting in trouble? Are you in trouble? No, I'm on. The, I'm, I'm on the board. Oh, and then we're having a yeah. I've been on the board here for a while. We have we have we have a uh, doesn't matter. We have a little of a, a leak, and there's emails going back and forth about quotes. And I keep thinking, how do I resign from this stupid condo board? Oh, uh, Sandy's on the board uh, here in the condo we live in, and it's like oh my, the nonsense that goes on. Honestly, oh. I just every every meeting we have, I start by saying this will be my last meeting. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you very much, John Cochran. That was great. Yes. John Cochran Golf Schools. Tim O'Connor, how do you get a hold of him? Uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca is my website, and you can read my blogs on toconnor.substack.com. Uh, you know what? We, we this, have, week's, this week's blog that's there had a lot. There was a lot of stuff that applicable to our conversation well, with John Carter. Do you want to sure. do that? Do, do, uh, listen, I got nowhere to go for 10 minutes. Do you want to do that? I think it's a Sure, you, sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. listen, it's our show. We can do whatever. It sounded like we were finishing. Um, and it's a podcast. It's a podcast. Don't, don't if you don't like this part, fast forward. Um, so Tim's what band. struck you about that blog? What struck you about the blog? Well, it's your blog, but I would tell you, Tim wrote this blog, and I, I thought I skimmed it, but I realized I, I Tim had a uh, Tim has a band, and they played recently. But in the summer, Tim's band had a guest, a vocalist. She's the daughter or niece, niece, She's yeah. daughter, a niece of one of the players. She's a very, very good vocalist, and you guys were going to play a song with her, and it didn't go as well as you'd hoped. Yeah, so. Um, the song is Only Happy When It Rains by Garbage. It's a perfect song for us because we play a lot of vintage punk, so it's, it has a lot of power to it. It's very emotive, and it's a great song. We thought it was a great song to showcase Michaela. Um, so we all learned the song individually. We came together for two practices before this big gig. We were the closing act for this big fundraiser, and we roared through it. A couple times in each practice, we went, okay, we got it. And we got on stage, and we got through about six or seven songs, most of which we've been playing for years. And we launched into this thing, and within about 30, 40 seconds, we all get lost. <laughs> We're all just like, where are we going? Is this the chorus? Uh, is, is, aren't we supposed to go into the second verse? And we're all looking around wild-eyed at each other. And Michaela, had, being a, a, a performer, she she knew what she needed to do. Our agreed-upon sign for ending the song was she would put her fist in the air, and then at a certain point she would just bring it down quickly, and then we'd end it. So she brought it to a merciful conclusion. What, really like quickly. 40 seconds into the song, she said, okay, that's enough of oh, this Oh, yeah, song. that's it. Pull, pull the plug. Done. You know? And um, that's funny, so anyways, huh? here's, here's the connection I was making to golf, is that what we didn't it, it was kind of like we'd kind of gone to the range and thought, oh, yeah, well, I can turn over my five iron or whatever. I can hit fades with my driver. I can take it to the golf course. But we hadn't thoroughly owned it yet. We we took it to the stage prematurely in the same way you would go to the range on a Friday afternoon and think, oh, yeah, this magic move is going to work Saturday morning. It doesn't work and you're five over after two holes or something. Mm-hmm. So the point I was making is that you really need whatever you're doing in terms of if you're looking to perform well, you have to have really so thoroughly learned it, as John Cockman was talking about, intellectually, physically, but to the point that 
that it's just embedded <laughs> in your neural pathways, yeah. which is another way of saying you own it. And unfortunately, I would say most golfers rarely get to the stage where they own something because we here's a word we loved a few weeks ago flit about yeah to a new thing oh this thing's not working so i'll try this or oh i saw this thing on youtube it's going to solve my slice and go to that well i i mean listen i i've, I've performed enough on stage when things have gone sideways uh, believe me i know what that feels like and i've i've done that in i've done that in bits where you know i thought i knew it and like i was I just screwed up something and then literally, you know, halfway through it kind of backed out of it somehow. The thing about it yeah. is with a band, though, like with me on, on, on my own, I can just switch and go to a different joke. So with you guys, there's four or five of you. And it must be terrifying when you realize no one knows where you are in the song. Exactly. You just look at each other. You go, oh, my God. But we're we actually had a similar thing happen. Um to us a few weeks later and uh this guy uh joey who plays in another band he was standing in for us the point i'm getting to is so we played this private party and the um <laughs> the husband of the woman we were doing the birthday party for he wanted to sing white wedding oh great the, the billy idol song so <laughs> anyway, don't, don't you love it when that guy shows up hey i want to sing with you guys oh great yeah. well we knew so we practiced it and we, we we knew the song pretty well he gets up there right from the get-go he comes in too early right he forgets the you know the lyrics and he's going and joey just sort of like he sort of bangs into me like a hockey play and he just goes he just goes just follow and so we i we just followed this pattern and just we did it ad infinitum and then finally okay the drummer and that's the thing the drummers are the greatest ones for bringing songs to a right exactly now everyone wham done that's great so so there is ways sure in which i there is ways in which you can you know the the uh, it's kind of like the the ship is going around and around in the in the typhoon, and it's going to get sucked down into the bottom of the ocean. But there are ways <laughs> which you can stay afloat. And to bring it back to golf, you know, if the the like I, you know, I I have practiced and have practiced at uh, performed, I should say, you know, hitting a sort of a soft flop shot, you know, many 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 times. And there's a perfect example of you know if you haven't. And just because you saw somebody do it on TV or you did it once, you know, maybe maybe in that tournament or your Saturday morning, maybe that's not the time to try it. You know, to your point about taking it to the course, you know, like there's nothing wrong with getting a ball on the green from trouble, even though maybe you can't get to the hole. You know, if you've got a bunker to go over, you know, the pins sort of tucked, just maybe just get it on the green. It may not look as sexy. But right. it's better than, you know, I'm sorry, it's better than skull fucking it over the green. <laughs> over the green. Uh, you know, I love watching oh, I guys. A new, I learned a new golf phrase today. But I love Thank watching you. guys do that. They, they open, yeah. they, they, they've seen it on TV. They can see them. They, they want to hit a flop shot. They're not doing anything. They're not doing any of the actual things that make a ball flop, but they're, they're, they're doing something. And then they skull <laughs> over the yeah. green and I always think to myself when was when did you what what part of you thought you had that shot 
Anyway, welcome to golf. My goodness. But I love just briefly. Um, that's what John Cochran was saying is that it's, you know, and I have I have clients all the time say they're, they're working on their, their short game. They're struggling. So they go to the practice range, uh, practice green. And for two hours, they feel like a plus handicap. They're hitting all these amazing shots. They go to the we've talked about this. They go to the golf course. And the very first chip shot of the day, they golf. Okay, as you said, or they chunk it. Uh, but what John said was great. I mean, hard to do for a lot of people. You know, go out on a golf course and practice stuff by themselves. I mean, yeah. it's kind of hard to do that. But but it, practicing on the golf course is the best place. For, absolutely. Yeah, well, if you have a chance to, it's like one of those things where nowadays golf courses are so full but you know you get out there yeah. at five or six o'clock at night and hit a bunch of shots uh once again without now we're going to wrap up the show tim uh o'connorgolf.ca humble and fred the uh, podcast continues in fact by the time by the time uh we're back we're off for thanksgiving by the time we uh, start up again next week we will be uh celebrating 12 years of doing a podcast Wow, that's uh, we, amazing. It is a long time. We started October 11th, 2011. And uh, unless one of us just, you know, keels over, we, we show no signs of stopping. Uh, we'll see you guys. By the way, uh, Swing Thought Nerds, next week, another episode. So much for the fall series. The return of Dr. Ray next week. So don't miss that. Anything else you want to add? No, that'll okay. be that'll be fun because it'll be a nice little follow up. Yes, on your climbing out of golf abyss. Uh, also, uh, as always, brought to you by TaylorMade Golf and who is OscarBravo.com. See ya.